Good afternoon and welcome to another episode of the Study with C. Martin podcast. I'm your host, Shonda Martin. If you are new to joining us, the Study with C. Martin podcast is the audio companion to the study textbook and workbook series and the free online course. If you have not already accessed the materials, please visit us online at studywithcmartin.com. There you can register for the free online course. You can access the downloadable lesson PDFs and keep up with us as we go along. Before we get started today, we're going to pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for your word and the power to believe your word. I ask that you would fill us all with the spirit of wisdom and revelation of the knowledge of you, that the eyes of our understanding being enlightened, that we would know what is the hope of your calling, that we would know what are the riches of the glory of your inheritance and the saints of light, and that we would all know, see, demonstrate, and experience the greatness of your power, which is at work toward us, in us, through us, and pertaining to us who believe your word. Continue, Lord, to draw us to study deeper with you. Continue to reveal yourself more and more day by day as we study your word, Lord. Wherever those who are listening are hurting, Lord, help them to know that you are with them, that you have not forsaken them. Please give them comfort in your word. Help them, Lord, through this material to effectively apply your word to their lives so that your power can be magnificently at work in every part of their lives every day. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we are picking up today in chapter five. If you have the PDF, we are on page 106 and we are starting in the section entitled Understanding the Vitally Important Relationship Between Natural Authority and Spiritual Authority. While many believers may go to church every Sunday, many have no real reverence for natural authority. Why is this important? Understanding natural authority is just as important to spiritual authority as understanding addition is important to multiplication. Understanding one is necessary if you want to be successful when dealing with the other. It is a stepping stone to getting to the next destination. God put specific instructions in his word for how we are to treat each other, the order for families, how leaders are to lead and treat those under them, as well as instructions for how we are to honor and respect those who are in positions of authority. Why? While all sickness and harm entered man's domain as a result of Adam's sin, we see that in Genesis chapter 3 verses 16 through 19 and Romans chapter 5 verses 1 through 21, the Bible tells us that some sicknesses and chaotic situations are caused by unclean spirits and powers of the enemy. You can take a look at Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 for that in Luke 10, 19. Those unclean spirits and powers of the enemy can only be dealt with by our exercise of spiritual authority in the name of Jesus. However, the dress rehearsal for exercising spiritual authority is demonstrated in our understanding and reverence for natural authority in our daily lives. When a child can submit to their parents, spouses can submit to one another, and the family can submit to church and government leadership, it makes having spiritual authority over the works of the devil nothing to fear or even marvel at. Like a good military leader, believers are to respect the authority that is over us and train those who are under us to have reverence for those in positions of authority. But far too often in this day and age, children are taught not to respect their parents, taught not to respect other adults or anyone else in positions of authority, causing them to grow up to be adults who don't respect their spouses, employers, church leaders, or government leaders. Now, what we don't realize is God created an established order, which includes natural authority. Failing to respect authority is sin. And that will hinder any attempt we make to exercise authority over the works of the devil. You can't expect to have power over the devil when you're behaving like the devil. The devil operates in disorder, chaos, and dysfunction. When you refuse to follow God's order, you're essentially skipping down the street with the devil following his order, his suggestions. And if you're going to follow his suggestions, you're going to get whatever he has for you instead of getting what God has for you. The Bible tells us of a non-Israelite military leader who understood how authority worked. And just as he was submitted to the authority that was over him, the sickness that besieged his servant had to submit to the power of God. The military leader told Jesus, just say the word 
and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another one, come, and he comes. And to my slave, I say, do this, and he does it. Now, when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who were following, truly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. And Jesus said to the centurion, go, and it shall be done for you just as you have believed. And the servant was healed that very moment. That passage is found in Matthew chapter 8, verses 8 through 10, and also 13. Now, as a military leader, this man understood that if he gave a command, those under him would carry it out. But he also acknowledged that if his own commanding officer gave him an order, he would carry out those orders. When you look at unclean spirits, demons, sickness, and even the threat of natural disasters as something greater than a mere mortal can handle, you would marvel at the thought of being able to command storms to cease or even cast a demon out of a person. But when you understand man's dominion over the earth and the spiritual authority that we have in the name of Jesus, you would no more marvel at having authority over demons or unclean spirits than an army general would marvel at having a battalion of soldiers to obey him after speaking a command. Like a military leader, you must train yourself and your family to understand and respect natural authority and demonstrate that understanding in your daily lives. Again, looking back at the passage with the centurion, the military soldier, he was consistent with order. He was consistent with understanding how that worked. And the beautiful thing about his consistency with having an understanding of how authority works is he took that same consistency and applied it to faith for healing. He understood that if his commanders told him to do something, he would jump to it. And if he told his subordinates to do something, they would jump to it. So likewise, that soldier knew that if Jesus spoke something and commanded sickness to flee, it was just going to be gone. There was not going to be an opportunity for that thing to stay. We must be consistent. A lot of times it can be hard for you to believe that the power of God will work for you because you're not consistent in your own life. When you're not consistent, it's hard for you to believe that somebody else will be. When you're not consistent in anything, it's hard for you to believe that the power of God will be consistent for you. You be consistent with faith and his power will be consistent for you. So let's look at a few examples of how failing to have respect for natural authority causes us to violate spiritual law and also hinders God's power from being at work in our own lives. The Bible tells us, Then one of the scribes came, having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that Jesus had answered them well, and asked Jesus, Which is the first commandment of all? Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment, and the second is like it. It is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And that's in Mark chapter 12, verses 28 to 31. Now, from these passages of scripture, we see that we are to love and reverently fear God. God's word and his will are one. He never changes. We see that in Malachi chapter three, verse six. We will never have the healing, help or protection God provided for us through Jesus if we never believe his word and come up with alternatives to obeying his instructions. Again, to love and reverently fear God means to obey what he says Just as the centurion reverently respected his commanding officers, we are to revere and respect God. We are to reverently obey his word, have high regard for his word. People have tossed around the phrase, make God's word be first place in your life. Well, don't take that as a light phrase. Let that mean something to you. If you haven't been consistent in the things of God before, start being consistent in the things of God now. I mean, we all have a used to, we all have a past. Let's talk about what we can do today going forward. So if you have not been consistent in the things of God before today, let's purpose today going forward that we're going to be consistent in the things of God. If God says we're not supposed to be participating in these particular activities, 
or watching these kinds of shows or doing whatever those things are, those areas that you might need to tighten up. Submit your life to God. The Bible tells us, I think it's in James chapter four, verse seven, submit to God, resist the devil and he will flee. When you submit to God's word, you're putting his word as the measuring stick for your life, how you align your daily activities, your conversations, who you hang out with and what you do and and don't do. Then we cause ourselves to walk in line with his word and we keep harm from ourselves and we cause his good to come to us. Next, we are to love and to respect each other. We see scripture references for that in Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 27, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10, and Acts chapter 5, verses 33 through 42. Again, Jesus said that the most important commandments were to love God and then also to love and respect each other. In the same way that God's love never changes, we are to always love others. When you choose to disrespect or be unkind to others or withhold good from others, you are choosing not to submit to God's authority, using your words and actions to hinder what God desires to accomplish through that person, however unimportant or insignificant they might seem to you. And you can expect for there to be repercussions from doing so. Again, this is a study in spiritual law and spiritual authority. And we have to understand how our daily interactions with other people can cause our own prayers to be hindered. You can't wonder why the power of God is not consistently at work in your life when you choose to inconsistently walk in love towards other people. But we'll talk more about walking in love in chapter 13. Again, we're talking about how reverencing and respecting natural authority has a direct effect on how we successfully exercise spiritual authority. So next, we're going to look at how those in leadership are to respect those who are under them. Those in leadership are not to abuse their role by mistreating or harming or taking advantage of those who are under them in any way whatsoever. We see that in Ephesians chapter 6 verses 5 through 9. Being a leader is not a position that any person should take lightly. As the Bible tells us that those who are in positions of leadership are going to be held to a higher level of accountability on judgment day. And that's found in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17 and James chapter three, verse one. Furthermore, much like a marriage covenant, leaders who take an oath to serve should be particularly careful in how they conduct themselves. From the Bible days until present day times, History has shown us time and again the detriment that has come upon leaders who make an oath to God to uphold the law and serve the people, but decide to break the law, cheat on their spouses, and mistreat the people they swore to serve. The Bible tells us that it is better not to make an oath than to make one and break it. And that's found in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verses 4 and 5. When you take an oath to serve in an office, always remember that you will not only have to answer to people for your actions, but to the Lord. Next, we are all to show respect for, submit to, and pray for those in leadership. And we see scripture references there in Titus chapter 2 verses 9 and 10, Colossians chapter 3 verses 21 to 24, and Ephesians chapter 6 verses 1 through 8. The Bible tells us that every person in authority is permitted to have those positions because God allowed it, and he only allowed it because we allowed it. And that goes back to Matthew 18, 18. Whatever you bind or permit on earth will be bound or permitted in heaven. Now, how did we allow it? By choosing not to follow God's instructions for a peaceful life. The word of God says that we are to pray for those in leadership so that we can have a peaceful life. If we would have prayed and voted, prayed and gone to the community meeting, or prayed and spoken up against wrongdoing, the right person would have been given the job. Nonetheless, whether the person in charge at your school, on your job, or in your town, or in your country, or even in your family is a good leader or a bad one, God commanded you to pray for them and show them respect, not to disrespect them or hinder them in any way because you disagree with them or don't like them. Why not? When you pray for those in authority, you invite God to help them on your behalf. You should always want to pray for leaders because their decisions have a direct effect on your daily life. 
And we see scripture reference for that in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, and Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Furthermore, God holds every leader accountable for the things they do concerning the people they represent. And if they are a good leader, your prayers will help them to continue to stay on the right track in the face of temptation and opposition. But if they are bad leaders and they don't recognize that they're doing wrong, will they ever pray for God to help them to make good decisions for your school, your town, or for your church, or for your workplace? You do have a role to play. You cannot blame everything on the leaders when bad leaders are elected or remain in those positions. Remember, Jesus said, whatever we allow will be permitted and whatever we forbid will be forbidden. So when you choose not to pray for the leaders, you choose to allow their bad decisions or bad behavior to continue. That also applies to families. Everybody's not saved when they get married. And even if they are saved, that doesn't mean that they're walking up right before the Lord. They're not walking in obedience toward the Lord. So to those of you out there who might be experiencing marriage challenges, pray for your spouse. Pray for those in your family that may not be walking upright before the Lord. Don't throw up your hands and give up on those relationships. Pray for those that are in leadership positions in your family, that God will work in them according to his word in Philippians 2.13 to will and to do for his good pleasure. The Bible also tells us that God set the members of the body, each one in its place as it has pleased him. Those who are in positions of leadership God set them in positions of leadership. So pray for them, that he would fill them with the spirit of wisdom, that he work in them to will and to do for his good pleasure so that you can live a peaceful life. And that makes an excellent segue to the next examples we're looking at. They deal with marriage and children. The Bible says, have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother. And be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. And that's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 through 6. Malachi 2, verses 13 through 16 says, You cry out, Why doesn't the Lord accept my offerings or hear my prayers? Because the Lord witnessed the vows you and your wife made when you were young. But you have been unfaithful to her, though she remained your faithful partner, the wife of your marriage vows. And what does God want? Godly children from your union. Therefore, take heed to your spirit and let none deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. For the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce. Again, that was from Malachi chapter 2 verses 13 through 16. So what do we learn from those two passages? We are to respect marriage. Marriage is not just a civil ceremony or a religious activity. It is a spiritually binding covenant between a man, a woman, and God. Why did God put man and woman together in the first place? So that they could fulfill his command to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it, which includes raising godly children. Scripture reference for that is Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 28, and Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. Those who hindered God's people in the Bible days incurred tragedy and loss. While King David was blessed and favored, he encountered tragedy and loss because of the harm and destruction he caused Bathsheba and her husband. We see that in 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12. Likewise, today, many have encountered detriment in their own lives because of the harm they caused someone else by meddling in their marriage or interfering in how they raise their children, ultimately trying to cause someone else's spouse or child not to submit to the authority of that husband, wife, or parent. If you want to successfully exercise spiritual authority over the works of the devil in your own life, don't let yourself hinder any husband or wife or parent from doing what God commanded them to do. Husbands and wives are to honor, respect, love, and submit to each other. When we fail to honor and respect our spouses, the Bible says that our prayers will be hindered, and that includes prayers for healing. The Bible says that husbands are to honor wives as the weaker vessel, not because they are weak or less of a person, but according to God's order. Just as every organization has a leader, 
The husband is the leader in the marriage or home. And just as leaders will have to answer to God if they mistreat their subordinates, if a husband chooses to mistreat his wife or even their children, he will have to answer to God. And we see scripture reference for that in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, and Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 and 33. Next, children are to honor and obey their parents. God created man and woman to produce and raise godly children who reverently respect and obey the Lord. Children demonstrate their respect for the Lord by being obedient and reverent to their parents. This is also the first commandment that comes with a perk. Showing respect for your parents causes you to have long life. However, failure to do so can result in your life being shortened. And we see scripture reference for that in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6, and Malachi chapter 2, verse 15. To have the power of God evidently at work in your life, you must submit to his order, not to rebellion or disobedience. When we obey the word of God, we follow Jesus's example. We see that in Philippians chapter two, verses one through 11. When we choose not to obey the word of God, we follow the devil's example. The question is, whose spirit have you permitted to be at work in you? The spirit of God or the spirit of disobedience? God created and established order in the earth. And he commanded us to love one another and submit to the authority of those positions of leadership. He also sent Jesus to die for our sin and restore man's authority over the works of the devil. If you are not willing to submit to the word of God and to the lordship of Jesus Christ, you will never be able to successfully exercise authority over the works of the devil in your own life or for anyone else. Again, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 19, and Matthew chapter 18, verse 18, that whatever we permit or join ourselves to will be permitted and enforced, and whatever we forbid or reject will be forbidden and rejected. We cannot expect the power of God to continually be at work to uphold our spiritual authority over the works of the devil when we reject and refuse to acknowledge or reverence the authority we're supposed to submit to in our own daily lives according to the word of God. Whether we are submitting to natural authority or attempting to exercise spiritual authority, we must first be submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ as our commander. And like Jesus, we don't try to pursue our own order. We submit to do the will of God the Father. When we choose to disobey the Lord by not reverencing natural authority, We are following the devil's instruction and doing so gives place for the works of the devil to be at work in our lives. But when we consistently submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, we can successfully exercise spiritual authority over every work of the devil and cause the power of God to continually be at work in our lives. Remember, mankind may rule, but Jesus is Lord. Whenever people experience the devil's chaos through sickness, disease, or through other acts of devastation of loss, many often question, why do bad things happen to such good people? A familiar response to that question is, well, that's just life and there's nothing you can do about it, sweetie. But that's not life and it's definitely not the abundant life God intended for us to have. As we've studied thus far, sickness, disease, chaos, calamity, and tragedies and untimely deaths are all works of the devil that happen because of our ignorance about man's dominion, spiritual authority, and spiritual law. In Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 5, as Jesus taught one day, some of his disciples told him about a tragic event that had happened. There was present at that season some who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answered and said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse sinners than all other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Jesus told those who were there with him, those who had come to hear him, 
He told those quote unquote good people that those tragic events didn't happen to those other people because they had been particularly bad, nor had those who had been present with him been spared from those tragedies because they had been such good people. Jesus told them that if they also did not repent, if they did not change by turning from their sin and receiving him as their redeemer, they could expect to find themselves in similarly tragic situations. Why? Again, Adam's sin is what caused the works of the devil to be able to harm mankind in the first place. And when you fail to change course and accept Jesus' sacrifice for your sin, that sin remains for you, continuing to give place to the devil to bring harm into your life. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 verses 11 and 12 tells us, The race is not given to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor the bread to the wise, nor riches to men of understanding, nor favor to men of skill, but time and chance happen to them all. For man also does not know his time, like fish taken in a cruel net, like birds caught in a snare. So the sons of men are snared in an evil time when it falls suddenly upon them. Sickness, accidents, and other tragedies are like the time and chance marbles of a roulette wheel, seeming to randomly land on some while narrowly missing others. That passage reminds us that time and chance happens to us all, meaning that the devil desires to inflict the seemingly random detrimental consequences of Adam's original sin on all of mankind in any place at any time. Again, All chaos, tragedy, sickness, and disease are caused by the devil as a result of Adam's original sin. And without repentance, without sincerely making the change to turn from sin and receive the salvation that is only provided through Jesus, that sin remains. And no amount of going to church, being nice, or doing good will ever be enough to resolve that sin issue for you. Chaos and tragedy do not have to come upon us and sickness and disease no longer have to snare us. God sent Jesus to redeem us and he gave us his word so that we could know for ourselves how to experience his protection and power against those random detrimental works of the devil. By believing and obeying the word of God and by having dominion and exercising spiritual authority over the works of the devil. I'll say that again. Chaos and tragedy, dysfunction, sickness, disease, harm, none of those things have to come upon us and they don't have to snare us any longer. God sent Jesus to redeem us and gave us his word so that we could know for ourselves how to experience his protection and power against those random detrimental works of the devil in our everyday life. And the way we do that is by believing and obeying the word of God and by having dominion and exercising spiritual authority over the works of the devil that may try to come. To rule your kingdom, you must become like a child. Now, exercising dominion and spiritual authority is much like you being a lawyer dealing with legal matters. In the same way that you would use the law books to execute the law in the regular world, The word of God is the law book that you use to execute authority over the works of the devil when you speak and pray. But like a good lawyer, you must know what the law says if you are going to be successful in court. Sadly, many believers don't know what the word of God says and leave everything up to God, or at least that's what they think they're doing when they pray for God to heal or help the person if it's his will. In a regular court case, if you knew you had been wronged, you would not leave the case up to the will of the judge. No, you'd get yourself a good lawyer to prove that your rights had been violated. Likewise, we are to study the word of God and become good spiritual lawyers if we are going to successfully exercise dominion over the earth and spiritual authority over the works of the devil. Many good Christian folks have wrongly believed the devil's lies thinking that God is testing them, that he is a ton of hoops for them to jump through, and that he's trying to see how long they can hold out before he decides to heal or help them. We have also believed that God somehow made it easier for people that live back in the Bible days to receive healing and help than he makes it for people that live today. 
No, friends, those things are simply not true. The purpose of this study course is to help you to understand spiritual law and how to correctly exercise spiritual authority and dominion over the earth and over everything in it. Back in Jesus' day, the gospel was new, and Jesus only preached for a little bit more than three years. So well, like, what do I mean when I say that the gospel was new? I mean, nobody was preaching that they were the son of God and that they were the redeemer. Now, there had been some imposters, but nobody had had the results that Jesus had. So when people saw Jesus and they heard Jesus preaching and teaching, this was a new thing. And when he preached and taught, the majority of those that he ministered to heard the truth and believed and accepted what he told them. Now, why is this important? Now, as we'll cover when we get into chapter six, when you have heard little to nothing about the gospel, you are a spiritual baby. And just as there is a difference in what is permitted for babies and adults in regular life, according to spiritual law, it is easier for spiritual babies to receive than it is for those who should know better. Today, the gospel is not new and most people are not spiritual babies. Saved and unsaved people alike have heard and heard some variation of the gospel preached since they were children. But what have they actually been taught to believe? Again, we've talked about this before. A lot of times people can hear and hear what they think is Bible teaching. But if it's mixed with a lot of traditions and theories and opinions, you can have full faith in opinions and have absolutely no confidence in the word of God if the things that you've been hearing and hearing are based on opinions instead of the word of God. Again, Romans 10 tells us that we receive from God by believing and speaking what his word actually says. And we'll only believe his word after we have heard and heard enough of it to believe it. However, as I've said before, many times when the gospel is preached today, people are taught to be double-minded and are taught not to believe the word of God. For every scripture that is read about discipleship, the same message will tell you that the good Lord didn't call everybody to preach. For every message that tells you that Jesus is the healer, you're also taught that sometimes God's answer to your prayers for healing is no, and that it's not always his will to heal everybody. If you are taught to be double-minded, how can you ever have faith to receive what he said? Looking back at the example when we were talking about the centurion, That man wasn't double-minded about obeying his commanding officers or having his soldiers under him obey him. He was consistent with that. No, that's just how it is. They speak, I obey. I speak, my servants obey. Likewise, if the word of God says you can have your prayers answered, believe that. When we believe and obey what God said, we can have what he said. We must believe that Jesus is the son of God sent to redeem mankind from sin, restore man's spirit to God, and restore man's spiritual authority over the works of the devil. We have to understand and remember that because God gave mankind dominion over the earth and over everything in it, it is each person's responsibility to subdue the affairs of their own kingdom, which is your life. And because God gave us dominion over the earth and over everything in it, and because we have authority over the works of the devil in the name of Jesus, We must believe that when we speak, what we say will always be upheld and enforced by the kingdom and power of God. Jesus said that if we do not become as a little child, as a person who has no opposition to receiving what he said, we will not be able to receive the kingdom of God. He said that in Matthew chapter 18, verse 3. But if our faith is built on double-mindedness and unbelief, we will have no faith to believe what the word of God says. Then when works of the devil come against us, that unbelief will say, there's no way I'll believe that. You don't really expect me to believe that there'll ever be any real change just by believing and speaking, do you? Then with that double-mindedness and unbelief, we'll try to do what we have seen and heard others do, becoming like Siva's sons. We think that if we can be good and do enough good things, That will definitely make God see that we deserve to be healed or helped. Then we'll start going to church every Sunday, trying to be nice to everybody. And after a while, there's still no change in our situation. And we wonder why God hasn't seemed to notice all the good that we've been doing. And when we don't receive the healing or help we need, we tell others, I just don't get it. Why is this taking so long? What else does he want from me? 
What else do I have to do? I did everything they said he wanted me to do. I just can't figure God out. This Bible stuff must not be true. Christians don't get an automatic safe and protected from all harm pass just because we're saved, go to church every Sunday, or are nice to our neighbors. You absolutely must understand and remember, your life is your kingdom, and in your kingdom, what you permit will be permitted, and what you forbid will be forbidden. Again, Jesus said that in Matthew chapter 16, verse 19, and 18, verse 18. Even though a neighboring king's land might be thriving and flourishing, no other king can establish and maintain order in someone else's kingdom, as every king must rule their own kingdom. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 tells us that there is no condemnation, no work that will detract or bring about death to those who are in Christ Jesus. However, that verse does not end there. That complete verse says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. What does it mean to walk after the flesh and walk after the Spirit? To walk after the flesh is to believe and follow your own senses and fleshly desires. But when we walk after the Spirit, we believe and obey what the Word of God says, just as Jesus did. That is how we cause the power of God to be at work for our good and prevent the works of the devil to have any place in our lives. When we walk after the spirit, we believe that Jesus is who he said he is and that he really did accomplish what the Bible says that he did, that he really did redeem us from Adam's sin and restored our spiritual authority over every spiritual being on the planet that can affect our lives, good and bad. We walk after the spirit when we choose to believe that God really did give Jesus the name that is above every name. And when we truly believe that, we can successfully subdue the affairs of our lives with the word of God in the name of Jesus. But what does that look like? How to establish and uphold the law in your kingdom. In society today, there is a process called gentrification. It means the redevelopment or transformation of a previously unsuitable or less than desirable area, changing the character of a neighborhood through the influx of more desirable residents and businesses. Now, it's often a controversial topic when the process is used to displace people of different races or backgrounds. However, it paints a useful picture of how we are to have dominion and exercise spiritual authority over the works of the devil. Let's look at this example. In a seemingly forgotten part of the country, there's a town on the edge of ruin. Overall, the town is run down, crime-ridden, poverty-stricken, with inadequate housing and subpar schools. However, even in its dilapidated state, a buyer gets a vision for the potential of the area. After taking ownership of the town, the new owner or developer comes in and gets rid of what they don't want. They employ legal means to clean out every square inch of the town that could ever give place to trespassers and undesirable activities. Then they tear down the structures they didn't want and put up a fence around the entire area. A sign is posted indicating that the property has a new owner and is under new management and that trespassers will be arrested and prosecuted. Now, that's you after committing to know and actually believe what the Word of God says concerning your life and getting a picture of what God's Word says you can have, do, and be. You now understand that you have dominion over this kingdom and you start using your words to forbid the bad to be, remain, or continue. Now, the building process begins. This process can take a while or it can be relatively quick. It all depends on how motivated the developer is to changing the area into a prosperous and profitable neighborhood. Now, if they're very passive in understanding and overseeing the development process, change will take an indefinite amount of time. But if they are diligent and determined, they will appoint every lawyer, council member, and business person available to make sure every permit gets approved on time and only has the best construction and design firms working to make sure the project is finished to their satisfaction by their desired completion date. They allow no room for error or delay, 
and began marketing to various desirable businesses and new tenants to occupy the area when it is completed. Now, that's you after learning and believing what the word of God says concerning your life and using your words to call for the good, to speak the good that you want in your relationships, your health and your healing, your financial situation, your kids, your marriage, over every area of your life. Just as God did when he used his words to speak his will for mankind and the earth and put things in order in Genesis chapter one. The various areas of your life were like the earth that was void and without form in a state of chaos after the devil was down here messing stuff up. We have to use our words to believe and speak and put stuff in order just like God did. God didn't leave the earth in disarray. He didn't leave the earth void and without form after the devil did damage to it. He put it in order and he gave us a command to subdue. And now it's time for us to do the same with every area of our lives. Now, as the building process gets underway, and even after the renovations and rebuilding are completed, the criminals that used to hang out on various street corners try to come back several times a week to see if they can resume their old activities. But what is the developer to do in situations as such? He utilizes law enforcement to uphold the evictions, using legal force to make them cease their activities and make sure they never return again. Now that's you using your words to forbid every ungodly thought, behavior, feeling, symptom, situation that tries to come or return after you spoke to establish order. Like think about that, like see the picture. Like you've started establishing order in your kingdom. You start seeing a turnaround in your family. You start seeing the turnaround in relationships. But dysfunction tries to pop back up again. No, you don't give up and throw your hands up and say you thought this stuff was working and it must not be working anymore. No, you got to keep speaking. That's you bringing out law enforcement. That's, That's you upholding the laws. That's you bringing out your security. From now on, that area that used to be run down and dysfunctional is now prosperous and thriving. And from looking at it, no one could ever tell that it was ever anything but thriving and prosperous. That's your kingdom now. That's your life completely delivered from the works of the devil because you now know how to successfully exercise dominion and spiritual authority in your kingdom and actually do it. In addressing a group of unbelieving religious leaders one day, Jesus talked about the importance of not letting the works of the devil return after you have restored order. He said, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places or waterless places seeking rest and finds none. Then he says, I'll return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of that man is worse than the first. So shall it be with this wicked generation. And that was from Matthew chapter 12, verses 43 to 45. Jesus told those religious leaders that when unclean spirits go out of a person, they go through waterless places looking for rest. And if they can't find a new waterless home, they will come back to the place where they were cast out of to see if they can remain there. Now, what is a waterless place? Why did Jesus call them wicked? When the Bible says a person is wicked, most times it's because they did not believe or obey God's word or had been rebellious in some way. And many times when the Bible mentions water, it is referring to the Holy Spirit. While a person can be saved, any person who does not fully believe and obey the word of God is a waterless place, unknowingly giving place for the works of the devil to come and remain. Always remember, works of the devil cannot come or remain where we permit the water, the spirit of God, to fully be at work. And we cause his spirit to be at work, not by singing, come Holy Spirit, Lord, we welcome you in this place. No, we welcome the Spirit of God to be at work by believing, obeying, and speaking the Word of God. That bears repeating. 
We don't have to keep singing songs, pleading for the Holy Spirit to come. We don't have to be pleading for God to rend the heavens and send his spirit down. The Holy Spirit is already here on the earth. And we cause him to be at work when we continue to believe and speak according to the word of God. We see that example time and again throughout the New Testament when believers were gathered together, speaking the word that they believed and the power of God was manifested, evident for all to see and experience. But when we don't fully believe his word and we speak in the name of Jesus or speak the word of God, we end up like the seven sons of Siva, speaking his name or speaking the word of God, having no godly results, oftentimes incurring the opposite of that. When you begin establishing order in your kingdom, God will not try to test you by sending negative thoughts, emotions, pains, or situations to try to make sure you still believe his word. No, looking at this passage where Jesus was talking about the unclean spirit trying to come back to a place, the ungodly thoughts, ailments, situations, symptoms, dysfunctions that you forbade and evicted will try to come back to see if you have gone back to being a dry place and if you will permit them to resume business as usual. The question is, what will you say when they come back? Will you speak in agreement with those negative thoughts? Let them back onto your property and say that the word of God just must not be working? Or will you reinforce that eviction by continuing to believe and declare what the word of God says about that relationship, about your healing, about your new job, about your new house, about your relationship being restored? What did Jesus say would happen to those who remained waterless? He said, if you permit them to come back, they will not only come back and remain, but they'll bring back seven more spirits that were more wicked than they were causing your latter state to be far worse than what you were dealing with before. When God looked at the state of the earth, he did not leave it void, desolate, without form, and did not permit the works of the devil to continue. I mean, think about that. Think about the picture of the earth looking void and desolate after Satan had been down here messing things up. So often it's easy to look at the state of the affairs in your life And be ready to throw up your hands because it looks void. It looks desolate. It looks dysfunctional. But we have the spirit of God dwelling on the inside of us. And because the spirit of God is dwelling on the inside of us, we have his same power and authority when we speak. Believe what the word of God says about your life, about your situations, about your family, about your relationships about your financial status, about your children, about your husband, about your wife. When God looked at the state of the earth, again, he didn't leave it void. Though it looked terrible, he chose not to permit the works of the devil to continue. It's like he, he, in spite of what it looked like, God spoke with confidence saying, oh, no, let there be light. (laughs) He just, he just spoke, let there be light. God, I thank you for light in our marriages. I thank you for light in our children. I thank you for light in our finances. I thank you for light in our relationships. I thank you for light in our employment. I thank you for light in our housing statuses, Lord. I thank you for light in everything that we do. Whatsoever we do prosperous, Lord. That's what we're doing about the state of our kingdom about our body, our health, our spouse, our children, our finances, and our relationships. We're not waiting on God to deliver us because when we walk after the spirit, we believe that Jesus has come in the flesh and that because he has come in the flesh, the kingdom of heaven is come. We're not waiting for God to deliver us. We're not waiting for Jesus to come because he's already come. And we're not waiting for another move of the Holy Spirit to be done on the earth because the Holy Spirit is here, ready to be at work when we believe and speak according to the word of God. The work has already been done and it was put in the word of God for us to know and believe. Choose ye this day whose words you're going to believe. Believe the word of God. Know, understand, and believe what the word of God says about man's dominion and spiritual authority and start subduing your kingdom in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. That is the end of chapter five. And 
I tell you, I have gone over this material time and time and time and time again. A lot of times we can come across study material and think it's a one and done. Hey, I read that book and put it on the shelf and be completely done with it. Never pick it up again. This material is something that you have to fortify yourself with because it reminds you, especially when stuff tries to come against you, that you do have authority in the name of Jesus and that no work of the devil can stand against you in his name because God has given his name to be the name that is above every name including whatever the devil might try to throw against you. To those of you who might be experiencing challenges in relationships or in financial situations or in your housing statuses or whatever your situation might be, be encouraged in the name of Jesus. I speak against those challenges that have tried to come against you and I forbid them to do so anymore. Be in agreement with what I just prayed concerning you, that those things cannot stand against the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus covers you and your house. The blood of Jesus covers you and your house. Those things cannot stand. You keep believing and speaking that his name is the name that is above every name. No weapon in hell can stand against you. No weapon in hell can prosper against you. I want to thank you guys again for joining me today. I had a a wonderful time going back over the word of God with you. If you have any questions or comments or any positive feedback about the material or the podcast, send me a message. Go to the website, studywithcmartin.com, leave me a message there. Send an email at contact at studywithcmartin.com. You can message me on Instagram or Facebook at studywithcmartin or on Twitter at studywithcmart. If you want to know where else to find the podcast, we are available on every major podcast platform out there, I believe. You can also find us on uh, anchor.fm forward slash study with c martin love you guys thank you for joining me today and i pray you have a prosperous week in jesus name take care